Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Fitness Devil podcast. Today, we've got a good friend and a local Edmonton trainer named Hannah Gray. She's going to be a little different for some of you guys in that some of you guys, her audience will know her and love her. And we want you guys to share her with more people. But for anyone who hasn't heard of Hannah, she's one of these undiscovered gems that more people need to find. So please give it a listen. I personally feel like it's the best podcast we've done yet. And uh, stick around and enjoy. Shut up and sit down. Hi, everyone. It's Andrew Coates, and I've got Dean Guido with me, my co-host on this podcast. And today we have a really cool guest, our friend Hannah Gray. So Hannah is a, an Edmonton-based personal trainer, and she is the writer at her website, Gray Area Strength. So uh, welcome, Hannah. And I'm going to let Hannah tell uh, you guys about her, as opposed to some long, bleeding intro from me. <laughs> well, hi. Okay. Um, well, I've been in Edmonton for my basically my entire life. Um, I've been a trainer for going on 12 years now. And I'm a mom to uh, to two almost teenage girls. My, my daughters are 14 and 12. And um, I'm also a musician on the side. And I do lots of um, lots of writing as well, and hoping to do more of that in the years to come. But um, but yeah, life is pretty good right now. Keeps busy. And what about your uh, your weightlifting and the fact your daughter can squat most more than most of our male listeners? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she can. She actually hit a deadlift PR yesterday. You were there to witness it, where she uh, she lifted uh, 105 kilos. That was pretty cool. Jesus, how old is she? She's she's 14. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, she's a beast. Um, yeah, I compete in powerlifting. I've been competing in powerlifting for about three years now. I'm training to go to nationals in February and um, also have been competing in Olympic lifting for the last year or so. And that's been kind of a trip because that's a completely new thing that I never, ever did before or ever saw myself doing at all. Um so yeah, so I mean, the strength training thing has been, um, I really only got serious about strength training maybe three years ago. And before that I did, I was a, I was a cardio bunny. I started with triathlon, um, did a lot of triathlon, um, Spartan racing, martial arts. And before that, um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it, um, later on, but, um, but before that I lived most of my adult life as a really large person. So, um, there was a lot of, a lot of up and down and a lot of weight loss and a lot of, um, mental growth that had to get me to where I am today. That's actually going to make for a really interesting episode. And we have some stuff we'll talk about and like the whole discussion of should trainers be in shape and a lot of these other little rabbit yeah. holes and arguments that we get into. So let's get right into the good stuff. Uh, you're very passionate about, uh, about your identity as a female fitness professional in what is arguably a pretty male-dominated industry. Women spend more money than men on fitness. So, like, go. Just launch into that. <laughs> okay. Here's the question. Go. <laughs> yeah. Go. Light the fire. Um, okay. So, women are, yes, women do tend to spend more money on um, more a bigger share of the fitness dollar than men do. Um, women spend about 70% of the... Um, or 70% of the money spent on fitness is spent on women. And women tend to be more coachable and we are more likely to ask for help when we need it. Um, we're more 
I don't want to say pliable, but really we are more pliable that way. Um, we're more maybe open to admitting that we don't know what we're doing when we need help, that kind of thing. That's a nice um, way of saying men bring their egos to the table and they're often a pain in the ass to deal with. Well, you know, just maybe all, maybe all a little that. bit. You said yeah. it, not me. <laughs> it's um, absolute truth. I'd rather <laughs> train women any day of the week. Yeah? Yeah. They, all right. They, they ask for, well, I don't want to say they all ask for help, <laughs> but they don't necessarily always bring the ego as much. I, percentage based. They mm -hmm. don't have as big as egos and that's a good thing. In terms of the ones that come to train anyways, guys are less likely to ask for help. I'm less likely to ask for help. Yeah, Andrew is sure. less likely to ask for help. Uh, there's a very short list of people I'll ask for help from and that's kind of weakness. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So well, point proven, that's 100% of the river already. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So, um, but I think that women don't treat each other very well. So when we do need help, we tend to go to the male authorities in the field and that's not everybody. And lots of, there are lots of women, there's, there's work for all of us. And I'm a hundred percent convinced of that, but, um, but women don't tend to give other women a lot of credibility. Um, we judge each other very harshly, um, appearance is a huge piece of the pie um and and for men too but um but women are much harsher on each other when they are you know selecting who they're going to ask for help or you know where they're going to spend their money so um so yeah so as a female in um in this in this industry it is i think it's a lot harder to to make your voice heard. Um, it's really tough to kind of stand up in the middle of a lot of men who arguably have very large egos um, and and get heard in the in all the noise, right? And in this industry, everybody's an expert. Everybody's spouting off on, you know, social media, on Instagram about whatever. Um, and if you're a woman and if you're, you know, especially if you're a little bit older or if you don't have, you know, you don't have an Instagram feed full of belfies and stuff, then um, then it's hard to... What are, what are belfies for everyone listening? Oh, so man. you have to explain it. Butt <laughs> selfies. You said it. Butt selfies, Butt yeah. Selfies. Yeah. So if you don't, yeah. So, I mean, if you're not marketing like the, the sexiness side, yeah. it can be very difficult to make your voice heard. What do you think of uh, professionals like Jill Coleman and Kelly Coffey, who's probably going to be our next mm -hmm. guest on this and Nagar Fanuni and a handful of the other really impressive people are starting to break through on that stage. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really awesome to be, um, to be in this industry right now because, because the landscape is changing and there are all those those awesome ladies like Jill Coleman and Kelly Coffey and Nagar and Jen Sinclair. Um, they're all sort of breaking the ground for the rest of us to kind of stick our voices up and get heard a little bit more, which is really cool. Yeah. Well, and, and that's just, it's weird. It's, it's just, it's just like everything in women dynamics, whether it's like the disparity in, in wage gap and all that shit, just mm -hmm. getting better and better and better. And for no other reason, it's just fucking stupid. <laughs> like, so even, even if you bring in like Sohi on here, she's fucking dynamite and smart. And like, then the whole thing is like, well, like guys won't listen to women. Like, why not? Like she, they, they're, they bring a lot more to the table than guys generally. Well, yeah, you want to use an example of listening. Like, so he's podcast, uh, as of right now, has been downloaded over 2,900 times, which is our most successful podcast yet. And especially some of the early ones that had guys in it, like you take three or four episodes combined. And <clears throat> so he's done more than several of them combined. So people want to listen to her. Now, yeah, that's awesome. we talk about like women spending money on fitness. And like, I think it's 70% well, of them. Why is it then that they're not, I guess this is a hard question to answer, but why haven't women been able to break in when a lot of the people 
consuming the fitness is women? Like, why aren't they supporting their own or are they, or aren't they like, I don't know the answer to that, but. Well, I think that, um, like I said, I mean, women are way less likely to maybe look to another woman for advice on fitness, that kind of thing. I think, um, and this is maybe making me a traitor to my, my gender completely, but I think that definitely the sex part does play into it. Right. And a lot of, a lot of women will, hire a male trainer so that they have a cute boy to pay attention to them and flirt with a little bit. And, um, so a trainer that will remain nameless. Um, <laughs> who, it's not me. I'm married. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, there was there, a lady joined our gym, um, a little while ago and this lady didn't end up getting along really well with them, um, with the initial trainer who did her consultation. And she came back to us and she said, well, really what I want is a, a male trainer. And, um, and so the guy that she ended up being assigned to kind of laughed and said, well, I'll just flirt with her a little bit and she'll buy. And she did. <laughs> so there, I don't want to say that every woman does this. And I mean, it's true going the opposite direction, but it def- definitely is a piece of the pie. Um, and then on the other hand, men, when men are looking to hire a trainer, they are way less likely to hire a woman because what do we know about getting big and what do we know about their bodies and what do we know about, you know, their testosterone production, that kind of thing. Um, and also men just probably don't want to listen or ask a woman for advice as much. I do have male clients, but, um, but they are all probably over 65. Well, even when I think about when I consume information or when I was growing Mm -hmm. up through the system and I don't have anything against women at all. I just, when you're looking at things, like even if you go to all the main sites, like 90% of the content is male. So it's like, it almost funnels you towards that. And like, I've seen some good females and like, when you see it, like, I don't think, Oh my God, the female. So she's so smart. It's just like, there's, it's just not there. I don't know who's I don't know whose fault that is, but well, it's getting better. I don't think it's anybody's fault. I think it just is, you know, it was never a thing that women did until, yeah. you know, the last five, 10 years. Well, I do, I do think it is getting better. You're getting people. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Great. And again, great people are coming to light. And I, I've said this numerous times, like I don't believe in the whole idea of quotas or affirmative actions, which I think devalues women who are put in those positions. I think <laughs> when it's earned, like the best person for it, ultimately, yeah. that's how it should be. But you get people like, again, uh, Molly Galbraith, Girls Gone Strong. She's mm-hmm. doing a wonderful thing of finding a really good collective of professionals. So they've done great stuff. You've got Elaine Norton, who is kind of more of a conservative, traditional type of personality, but who's his co-host, Sohee Lee. And that's why she's probably blown up a whole lot. So mm-hmm. we are getting an industry which is finding the great people. And I just believe it's getting better. Now, another point that I thought of, too, is I think women are also consuming from the wrong women. They're buying Jillian Michaels. They're buying Kardashian bullshit. They're buying (laughs) Tracy Anderson. Tracy Anderson is the worst of the fucking worst. (laughs) And yet she's probably the highest paid personal trainer. in What's our podcast without Jillian Michaels and Kardashian? (laughs) Yeah. That's right. You have to drop the names in there. <laughs> and, and obviously they're doing something to reach more people. And yeah, sure. We can shit on the quality of what they're doing. If they are getting people at least moving and getting in the right direction. Well, they're sure there's positive there. It would be nice if people graduate from the shit. Well, that's what and I mean. then start finding the, the skilled professionals. And in we the had this and totally yeah. like a side note. We yeah. had this, I don't want to say argument discussion on our um, trainer group page where we kind of try to educate people about like, what are these shit? uh, (laughs) What are are these people that aren't as well qualified doing? 
to get all these people. Like I'm talking about famous people that have this influence. I wish that some of the smarter people could be that famous. Like we were even talking last podcast afterwards with Mike. He's like, well, how do I break in the mainstream? And we think Mike's a big guy, mm-hmm. but in the greater world, he's a minute piece of the puzzle, like under 5% and the 95% is full of shit. So it's just like, yeah. what do we, what can we take from them? <laughs> I, well, I, still... I, have, I have a theory about that. Okay. Um, Absolutely. So the people who are actually smart know what they don't know. Right. Yeah. And so I, f- I feel like the more I learn, the less I know and the less confident I am in, in what I'm saying even because, I mean, I, I try and be really careful about what information I put out there because I want to be a source of good information. Um, people who don't give a shit <laughs> can, be, can be 100% bought into what they do. And, you know, people like the food babe who don't, who don't know shit about shit. Right? She's, who's the food babe? She's what? a fucking imbecile. Like, who's the food babe? Uh, this is a woman named Vadi Hari, and she is an investigator, meaning basically she Googles a bunch of weird shit. It's a lot of paranoid conspiracy theorist crap. She's a fear monger about chemicals in food. She once said that airlines, this is a good one, airlines used basically an inferior quality of oxygen and that they were only using, what is it? They had upwards of only 50% of the air was oxygen on airplanes. (laughs) Now go back to your high school chemistry and you will know that actually only about 20% of our air is comprised of of oxygen. So it's just like dumb shit like that. She also said something about, I think if you yelled at something to do with water crystals being microwaved like Mm -hmm. saying words like Hitler as if like physics could understand the context of the evil within the word Hitler and these crystals responded differently like she gets on some really stupid shit yet she has millions of followers so basically I like the theory is that they don't know what they don't know or they they know that (laughs) they they don't know so they just pretend like they don't give a shit they're 100% bought into whatever they're whatever they're selling but you know I might say something and you know in another year science might completely disprove it right I mean if you look at if you look at sugar sugar sugar's the devil and sugar you know but 20 years ago fat was terrible um eggs were terrible we're, we all lit, we work in this um, this very new science, and there's new information coming to light every month. You know, every time you open up the internet, there's some new study that disproves something that we thought we knew about. And so, I mean, if we're if we're open to learning, and if we're open to having our minds changed, and if we have some level of wisdom about that stuff, then we can't be that confident in what we think we know, right? So it's hard to get up on your soapbox and say, here's how you do it. And this is the one way that's going to work for everybody because that doesn't exist. I almost feel though, like we should sell crystal. Like I'm totally joking, but like trying to be serious at the same time. Like if we sold crystals and talk about all this bullshit for like, let's just say two months, get our following and then switch the script on them. It's just like, literally we can't reach enough people to tell yeah. them microwave crystals aren't good for you. <laughs> But we don't have that reach, so it's it's just it's yeah. a crazy dynamic because, well, like you said, fuck, we would piss off a lot of the paranoids and the crazies. If oh we yeah, just that's for recruited sure. Recruited them in and then just start dropping real like stuff on them. So. I'm just like so fascinated by it. Like I, again, I think that's a societal issue because they're looking for quick fixes because they're looking for things that like will change them so fast, and that the people who mm-hmm. produce that shit which isn't i guess it's not always shit but a lot of it is they gravitate towards that as opposed to like the boring easy or long answer well you just said it yeah it's people want simple solutions they want to believe that there is one thing wrong with what they're doing there's one thing they can change yeah take that's this why one lo- magic pill that's why a lot of the marketing speaks 
in that exact language. Yeah. And the charlatans that we're talking about are much more likely to feel comfortable marketing in that way. Yeah. Whereas professionals who are evidence-based are very loath to speak in those terms because we feel like it lacks integrity. And this is part of the reason why the quote bad guys are winning. But I still think that we're catching up because I for the most part, people are starting to value like knowledge a little bit more. We still live in a society that almost values anti-intellectualism. You can see it all over. We don't go oh, politics, absolutely. but it's all over politics. <laughs> it's all over. Uh, the example I like is like how many seasons are there of Duck Dynasty and the Kardashians? And yeah, like like one, season, one season, one season, because you have a beard, uh, bigger beard, <laughs> or one season of Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos. And we no longer yeah. value space exploration or any of these other intellectual pursuits suits in the same light as we care about what's going on on uh, the Ozzy Osbourne's family, the fucking what a reality TV show or uh, the beginning yeah. of reality TV. Meet yeah. the Osbournes. Yeah. Meet the Osbournes. Was it Meet the Osbournes? Yeah. Shit. Or like you always watch uh, what 16 and pregnant or my, uh, my teen pregnant, my teen pregnant. Oh, shit. What is it? 16 and pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> I don't watch it. It's on uh-huh. <laughs> the wife needs to watch it to de-stress from work. But even so like that, no, I'm going to get into the well, right here, of the I mean, we're super stressed though, right? Yeah. We need, we need bubble gum. We don't want to be yeah. challenged in our downtime. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow, these people's lives are way more shitty than mine. I feel better about myself. Exactly. Right. That being said, that show has helped a lot of people. Okay. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it has. They had done studies on it. I swear. <laughs> um, okay. Your daughter's already a compass lifter. We talked about it. That's what's mm-hmm. 105 kilos, like 225. 231. Holy shit. Um, would you yeah. elaborate on the myth that kids shouldn't lift and dive into kind of the broader conversation of women and girls in sport and helping foster confidence in women? Yeah, absolutely. So, um... I took a lot of crap when my daughter started powerlifting. Um, she was really excited about it. She started when she was about, she started lifting when she was about 12. Um, I shouldn't leave my other kid out of this because she's going to listen to it too. Um, so my 12-year-old also does, um, she's heavily involved in rock climbing. She does CrossFit. Um, and so both of my daughters are fairly active and both of them are getting into weightlifting in, you know, various different ways. And, um, and, so I took all this crap on, on social media when, when my daughter st- first started lifting and we started maybe posting some of her lifts and she was really excited about putting some of her lifts up on social media, that kind of thing. And so many people were like, what are you doing? You're a terrible mother. Your daughter's going to be, you know, her growth is going to be stunted and her bones are going to fall apart and all this kind of stuff. And you know what? I mean, we have to, we have to lift stuff and we have to carry stuff. And it's part of being a person to, you know, to be able to bear some kind of load. And, um, and then the other thing is that, you know, resistance training is good for every, everybody. And I mean, should kids be grinding away under maximal squats every day? No, but neither should anybody else. Right. And so, I mean, unless there is some kind of underlying, um, issue like Osgood Schlatter's disease or something like that, um, weightlifting isn't going to hurt a kid, especially if they have a good coach and if they're following good programming and if they're going about it in an intelligent sort of way. And in comparison, the hypocrisy of that is we'll strap kids on hockey skates and helmets and football helmets and let them run into each other. Like that seems a lot safer than lifting a little bit of weight every once in a while. Right? Yeah. The forces with weightlifting are very predictable. Like you mentioned people fearing hurting their bones. No, like if there's one thing in this universe that is good for bone mineral density is to load it uh, consistently resistance training is a great way to actually prevent that. Yeah, for sure. And, and 
being a lifter for, for my, my older daughter has been amazing for her confidence. I mean, she's, you know, she's only 14 right now, but she's as big as me. And we really needed to get her into something that was going to give her some confidence in her body and let her enjoy what her body can do instead of have her fixated on what her appearance looks like in the mirror and, you know, constantly trying to be smaller because that's something that all girls are up against. You know, we were taught to hate our bodies from, you know, from toddlerhood. Right. And so, um, so getting her into a sport where she can sort of enjoy being a really big, strong person has been amazing for her. And, you know, and it was it was amazing for me, too. And I felt like, you know, if I can share this with her and get her into into something that, you know, is going to suit her physically, that she'll be good at, um, then that would be something that, you know, she'll take with her for her entire life. And right? walk us through that conversation. So, like, mm-hmm. did, like how did it come to like, were you like, you got to join a sport or did she like, hey, mom, like powerlifting looks sweet. I want to do it. Like, how did that come about? <laughs> I guess. Because that is, a, that is like mm-hmm. a unique sport for a child to like want to do, which is totally awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I mean, she... She was old enough when I started that she sort of saw what happened to me when I started lifting. Um, And so she wanted to be part of that a little bit, I think. But I think um, the biggest thing is that, you know, most of the sports that girls tend to be drawn to are, you know, things like dance and gymnastics and cheerleading and, you know, to a lesser extent, volleyball, basketball, that kind of thing. Um, And she, you know, she was starting to notice that she was bigger than most of the girls her age. Um, she's, she couldn't run as fast. Um, she maybe wasn't quite as coordinated <laughs> and, um, but she was bigger and stronger and she's, you know, she's a great basketball player, but, um, but something like gymnastics or dance, she was in martial arts for a little while. Um, she wasn't quite as suited to those physically and she would come home from, you know, Taekwondo thinking, well, I'm not light enough on my feet to be able to really do this well. And, you know, she was, you know, at around age 10, she started thinking, well, I've got to lose some weight if I'm going to be good at this. And I didn't want to see her be in a sport where she was constantly thinking, I've got to be smaller to, to do this right. So powerlifting. Well, it, it makes sense. Like, I guess <laughs> you're going to do the sports you want to do. And I hate the fact that pe- some people put their kids in sports they don't want to do just for mm-hmm. the sake of that's the right thing to do. Whether it's, I guess we grew up in Canada, you play hockey, but like pushing a sport on someone isn't going to get them anywhere because they'll hate every second of it. Yeah. And with my small, with my younger daughter too. I mean, she went through a bunch of different sports we found before she found the place where she felt like this was the thing for mm-hmm. her to do. She did gymnastics. She did swimming. She did trampolining. Um, she got into rock climbing and that was it she was hooked that's a good one so yeah she'll definitely be strong yeah she's a monster she did 680 some walking lunges the other night the the mountain climber yeah jesus terrifying it's ridiculous one one day she may have a a future in powerlifting good grip strength yeah Yeah. she very well might you know she may end up getting into olympic lifting because she's doing crossfit now too so i think you're setting them up for years um going forward and and an adult life with greater confidence with uh, a lot of capability and Mm -hmm. just setting them up to be successful i think maybe this last generation especially but i think it's been for a long time we're seeing a lot of kids growing up in less than ideal nutritional or athletic environments and that's going into some serious issues with their adult lives and their self-esteem confidence Mm -hmm. and uh and you know and then you get into what we're seeing with more obesity than ever yeah, absolutely. Um, I look at, you know, my kids always complain about how they're forced to eat too healthy at, at home. Um, I took my kids to the doctor last year and, and 
I got kicked out for my 14 year old's appointment. They, they wouldn't let me stay in the room, but, um, but, <laughs> but, um, but our family doctor asked my 12 year old if she had any concerns about her nutrition or about, you know, her environment at home. And she went, uh, yeah, I have to eat healthy all the time. And it's not fair because all my friends get to eat potato chips and drink pop and stuff. And, you know, we're not, we're not really, you know, we're not super, super healthy at home. Um, I, I'm a big believer in moderation and we get to, you know, they get to eat what they want. But um, she'll, she'll trade her snacks at lunch. She'll oh, appreciate it. Oh, yeah, she, she does. For sure. For sure she does. Like, but I always had Dunkaroos the trade. But I, I, my parents would never buy juice boxes because they were unhealthy. <laughs> your parents are <laughs> way ahead of the curve. We your parents we, had it well, wrong, right? So Dunkaroos versus juice boxes. I suppose, just, yeah. Well, at least they, they just like realized that juice boxes were basically Coca-Cola, right? Yeah. And, sugar or sugar. But I would always trade for the juice boxes, grape juice boxes. So anyways, it, it, well, you know what happens. <laughs> so, oh, I, I absolutely know what happens. And that's all right, because most of what they're eating at home is healthy. And so you can have some apples right. for the Dunkers. Like, no, you're going to bring some money. <laughs> Let's turn this to your own experience. So this is something you wanted to talk about. And a lot of people might be uncomfortable going here, but I love this. You've lost a considerable amount of weight in the last few years, especially. Mm -hmm. And by your own words, you were an overweight trainer. Can you expand upon that entire experience and how the world sees people differently because of their weight? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so there's there's more of a backstory to that. Um, I actually became a trainer um, after losing 110 pounds. So I was Jeez. really, really obese, you know, right up until after I had children. And I always... Fought with the yo-yo dieting. I had, I, you know, when I first became a trainer, I had lost 110 pounds and I felt like I still had a little ways to go. And so I almost did, this is where my blog started. It was almost with like all the, some stunt dieting I did. Um, I did the V diet from, uh, from T Nation, which is a yeah. terrible idea. Oh my God, don't try it. 28 or full month of protein shakes and no solid food except for did once you, a week. Did you buy their shakes too? I sure did. Okay. Cause I, I did the math. I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. That's a lot of money. <laughs> it was a lot of money. And you know what? My husband and I both did it and I lost two pounds and he lost 18. I was not a happy camper Jesus. after that. And boy, we both smelled terrible. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, <laughs> so V diet, V diet then. Yeah. Take that one off the list. It wasn't that fun. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I, I lost 110 pounds um, through triathlon training. Um, and then after that, I went back to school to become a trainer. And so my, my motivation toward becoming a trainer was to be somebody who could help people over that hump where they don't have a clue where to turn to for help. And, um, and so that was, that was sort of the beginning of my training journey. And then after that, maybe eight years later, I developed some health problems. So I, w I wasn't overweight when I first started as a trainer. Um, did the stunt dieting thing, did some up and down stuff. But, um, but after that, I developed some health problems and put on 60 pounds in six months. And then my weight just kept on creeping up after that. And so I knew, I knew, I could see how people looked at me in the gym and you know, it was just, it was the worst feeling because, you know, you go from being this credible trainer to somebody who has lost control over their personal life. And I didn't know how to handle it. And my confidence just went down the shitter. And I just had no, no clue where to turn. So I quit my job and, um, just to kind of deal with that. And at the same time I was dealing with, with this health problem that, um, 
that was causing some problems and getting in the way of the training that I wanted to do. I was, you know, at the time I was doing a lot of obstacle racing and a lot of martial arts and I couldn't do that on the drugs that I was on. I was dizzy and nauseous and it was just, it was months of misery. Um, and so my weight crept up about 80 pounds over the course of that year. And at that time I was doing the self-employment thing, but I also wasn't in a place where I could sell myself because I thought, fuck, you know, who's going to listen to me? Look yeah. at me. What, I mean, where, how do I sell this? Um, and on a more sort of logical level, I knew that, you know, I have more to offer my clients as, as a trainer who's fighting with her weight than maybe somebody who's never had to deal with these problems, but nobody's going to look at you as a credible information source when you clearly don't have it together. Um, so I had this core of clients that stuck with me through through all of that, through the thick and the thin, literally. And um, and they sort of kept me afloat while I dealt with all this all this shit. And at some point I got to a point where I was I was done. I wasn't gonna be a trainer anymore. Nobody was listening to me. Um I was being written off for, you know, jobs. Um it was terrible. And I and I knew, I knew it looked bad and I was I was just not in a good place mentally. So um, at that point, I thought, well, I don't have any more fucks to give about this weight loss thing. <laughs> I'm going to stop tying myself up in knots. Um, I thought I'm going to give being a trainer one more shot. Went back to World Health, where I've been before, and, um, and started getting into powerlifting. And I picked powerlifting because I thought, I don't even want to think about weight loss anymore. I just want to do something that's that's just for me that, you know, that I can just do and be fat. I need a sport that I can do as a fat person and, you know, develop some brute strength and who gives a shit what anybody thinks, right? Um, and what surprised me about that, and the other thing about that was that um, I was still kind of getting used to these drugs that I was, you know, that I had been on and off and on and off because it was it was a brutal few months there where I had to get used to this, this drug treatment. And... Um, so what ended up happening was I thought, you know, I can't can't do the, the Metcon type circuit stuff that I was used to doing. Couldn't do martial arts because I was too dizzy. Um, couldn't really do obstacle racing because it was too heavy. And, um, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll try powerlifting. Maybe this will be something that I can do while I'm, you know, feeling nauseous and sick and gross. And, um, and you know, powerlifting training is, is very low volume for anybody who doesn't sort of know what the training looks like. I thought... I can, I could conceivably go into the gym and do like a couple of reps and take five minutes rest and do a couple more reps. And then anyway, so I started that and my body really liked it and I completely fell in love with it and ended up thinking, okay, so I can be more, I can be more competitive in this sport if I drop down to a different weight class and you know, these, these little mental kind of shift happened when I thought, okay, I'm going to be a better power lifter if, if I can get leaner and put on more muscle and that kind of thing. So, um, so really, I mean, it was out of love for myself and out of love for what I was doing that, um, that the weight came off and it stayed off. Well, it goes back to that whole idea of you're thinking of weight loss in one aspect and then the next was in a performance aspect. <laughs> you mm -hmm. love powerlifting. So I love powerlifting so much. I need to perform better. Well, to perform better, you need to do this. And that, that was like the kickstart. You're yeah, like, fuck, I didn't think about it that way. There's that, but there's also, you know, 
the weight loss was always motivated by a desire yeah. to be smaller and to be sexier right. and to look prettier and um and it was more about hating myself thin before whereas now it was you know with with lifting it was more about i'm going to be better at this if if i can just get a handle on my on my eating habits so um and just to shift i don't know how hard of a question this is and this happens with guys too is that mm-hmm initially you thought about joining powerlifting because you can I guess quote unquote be fat and still like be do well at it what do you say to that mindset now looking back because I mean that mindset for some could be detrimental because they'd be like well I could stay fat if I powerlift and we all know that that's nothing the best long term I guess ideal it won't be the most <laughs> ideal goal possible Careful. so you're gonna piss off ah, the, the healthy at any size crowd you, you, which you, I like well, it's, just, it's just yeah. one of those things where like you were there yeah. and like I, I've been there it's like you're, you're doing powerlifting you're like fuck I can smash pizzas do this this and this and this mm-hmm. and then I realized like well if I do that I'm getting fat so I backed off for performance purposes but like that mindset could be very detrimental to someone who can go down that rabbit hole a lot further than someone like me who played football and lean I didn't go. I didn't go down the rabbit hole too much. It was ten pounds, but some people put on 50, 60 pounds just trying to. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think that um, one thing that I love about the powerlifting community is that there there really is no judgment, and it's for no. everybody. And people who you know who fight with their weight and have and struggle with with acceptance of themselves um, don't have to worry. I mean, you can you can go and shit your pants on the platform and <laughs> be like yeah you really you put it all out there that is on youtube um, by the way you yes it is there are it's lots of us, there, there are lots of them actually yeah. um but um but the powerlifting community is so inclusive that that you you can join that community and you don't have to worry about somebody thinking well you don't belong here because you're not a certain size or a certain shape um and i think that those people are, are you know if you're in the gym and you're trying to get stronger and you're trying to get better, then you're a hundred times better off than somebody who's maybe leaner, but sits around and smokes cigarettes and eats gummy bears. Right. So, um, yeah, maybe it's not ideal and there's always room for improvement, but it's always better to get into the gym and get moving and get stronger. I think you're going to be very unlikely to find someone who embraces the idea of like doing the hard work of powerlifting because this shit is hard. Yeah. And then at the same time is of the mindset, well, fuck it. I'm just going to eat so goddamn much. I am going to just not give a shit. I just don't think there's well, much of that. And I I don't think it's as much in females, but there are some males who will be like, <clears throat> well, even I, I tried, but like you need to eat up a weight class so you can drop weight to be in a less weight class. And God knows that ain't like to gain that much weight in that short amount of time isn't healthy. So it's just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just wondering thoughts on that. Cause it does happen. Like there's people who to be a top level powerlifter, they need to be 300 pounds, let's say, so they compete at 275, mm-hmm. but they're a 230 pound person. Well, to get to that weight, it ain't all muscle nope. and we won't go down the drugs category, but there's a lot of shit <laughs> that goes on to get to that weight. And a lot of it has to do with eating pizzas with olive oil and smashing shakes with peanut butter. And like, I guess, yeah, I don't know. There's no question there. Extreme, okay. Extremism <laughs> in any corner of the industry. Yeah, any any weight class sport is you know there there are going to be those you know that that mental fuckwittage that has to happen <laughs> to get from one weight class to another. But um, and I think it's that's universal. It applies yeah. to men and women. But um, but it's still better than doing nothing. I would absolutely agree. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's like I'm just so fired up about freaking weight and powerless. No, um, how do you experience 
How does the experience of actually losing the weight? So we talked about getting the powerlifting, getting stronger, losing yeah. that weight. How does that translate for you into greater confidence and belief in yourself? And like, how would you kind of portray that to other people looking to do the same sort of thing? Oh, well, um, so when I, when I first started powerlifting, um, my, like I said, my confidence was in the toilet. Um, I was ready to give up on the career that, it, that I have loved since day one. Um, I didn't think I was going to get anywhere with it. It was really just a bandaid to, um, to get me back to where I was before, where I could run and do all the things that I was used to doing. Um, but a surprising side effect that happened when I started lifting was that, um, and also I can, I can credit my, my trainer and my coach Dean Somerset for, for a lot of this. Um, and I can't even remember where I was going to go with that. Um, <laughs> but part of, part of the experience of getting strong and just getting into the gym and setting aside whatever bullshit you're carrying around for the rest of the day, um, and just getting it done was super, super important in allowing me to get out of a place where I was, I was, you know, carrying around all this mental garbage where I was beating myself up and hating myself and hating the way I looked and hating what I was doing for a living and hating what I had become and, you know, wondering if I was ever going to be credible as a personal trainer again and just getting into the gym and, and lifting some shit. And, you, you know, you get in there and you set it all aside and you get the workout done. And at some point there was a switch that kind of flipped over and I started to think, yeah, I can fucking do this. And that was, I, I don't know when that happened, but it was huge. And now I feel like, you know, I can, I can accomplish that on my own. Like I'll get into the gym and I'll get the work done. And, um, and feeling like I can do it is, is a totally new thing. It's, you know, it's something that I'll never take for granted. I don't think it's been a couple of years since, you know, since that happened, but, um, but it was, it was a huge mental shift that had to happen where I was like, I can do this. I can, I can deal with whatever's in front of me. And I think that just getting into the gym and turning off all the other shit for a little while was a huge piece of getting me mentally healthy enough to compete and mentally healthy enough to, you know, to be good at my job again. And, um, and that was, you know, that was, that was a huge shift in sort of the course of my entire life. Well, you mentioned, uh, like obviously training with Dean Somerset. Mm -hmm. So Dean was our first guest and he's yeah. a good friend of all, to all of ours. And you and I and Dean, we went down to Kansas city in May and met a lot of the other guests that we've had on this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, you know, right. can't, can't share enough love for Dean and what he does. And everybody should follow, not only follow you and all this, but you know, I keep telling people fucking follow Dean. Like, Dean what stop saying our, my name. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> love you, Dean. You're stalking me. <laughs> <laughs> he lives five minutes away. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, uh, I guess now you could probably say, safely say you're one of the busiest trainers within world health. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. We've no, seen, so. you know, like we've seen in the commercial gym industry, we've seen trainers leaving the industry. We see trainers aren't as busy. I mean, like a, the socioeconomics of Edmonton, you know, the economy hasn't been that great the last couple of years. There's more competition and yet you've thrived. Do you think that's a big part of the transformation and your confidence? Oh, absolutely. Um, I had this, I had this funny conversation with, um, with my boss, maybe a couple of years ago where, um, we had, we sit down and do goal setting every month and 
we had had the same conversation over and over again since I, after I went back to World Health, I'd sit down every month and say, I know I'm overweight and I know it looks terrible and I know that, um, that I can't expect people to put their trust in me and all this stuff. And at one point, um, he said, actually, you've gotten kind of intimidating because you're lifting all this shit in the gym and people might be sort of afraid to talk to you. And I was like, how did I go from too fat to be credible to intimidating? That's ridiculous. You're scaring people. But um, I did. I scared people away. Um, well, that could actually go back to the original thing about uh, male trainers versus female trainers. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like, I mean, I'm, Dean and I are huge men and, you know, he's, he's <laughs> really, he's even way stronger than I am and I'm not a weak person. But at the same time, I think, I, I've never felt unapproachable. Does that make sense? But mm-hmm. do you feel like, you know, for a woman who's really strong and, and got all those qualities, do they become a little bit more intimidating to approach than say males who fall in the same category? Maybe the idea that my fitness level is intimidating to anybody is still bizarre to me. <laughs> like it's crazy. I, still, you know, I look in the mirror and I still see 80 extra pounds of phantom flesh that is still there. And, um, you know, on, on some level it is, and on some levels it's not. And I feel like, you know, I, I know that I present myself with a lot more confidence than I did two years ago, but, um, but I guess there, there is some of that. And people look at, you know, people look at me now and maybe think that, I don't relate to whatever they're going through because I'm clearly this, you know, this competitive athlete and, um, and, you know, you know, anybody that I sit down with and, and talk to about what, you know, the places that I've been and the shoes that I've walked in, um, you know, people understand that, you know, this is, this is not how I've always been, but a lot of trainers have always just been that and they, then they don't relate. Um, and I think that that's, I don't know. I mean, it's something that I don't know. I, I find like all women intimidating. <laughs> if you're thin and fit, I'd be, it'd be intimidating. If you're huge and strong and have a mohawk, you'd be intimidating. If you have tattoos, you'd be, they're all intimidating, man. Mm. The only people that aren't intimidating is people with like superhero tattoos. It's a miracle. Someone actually <laughs> married you. That's fantastic. <laughs> but uh, seriously, like, I don't, I don't, I think that's stupid. Uh, <laughs> but like, I think that's well, a stupid right comment Andrea, to say. I know, I know you're listening, so she's. What I'm saying, yeah. I think it's stupid that they would say that you're intimidating. That makes no sense. Well, I mean, you're doing good shit. Like, fuck <clears throat> sorry, not fucking. <laughs> <laughs> He'll probably end up listening to this too at some point. She's not but, intimidating. Um, she's awesome. Oh, thank you. Well, you made yourself a priority. <laughs> uh, and we know people, especially women with family, struggle to do that. How important is it to switch that mindset? And how difficult is it to challenge the societal indoctrination? I love that word. That <laughs> women need to place others' interests before their Explain own. Explain indoctrination. 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 <laughs> she, she can do that. Oh, my God. I don't know. Oh, do we need to define our terms first? Yes. Um, Okay, well, I'll get to that. If I don't know what it means, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, I'm going to start with the first question. How about that? (laughs) Um, Yes. So women, women do tend to, you know, we're, we're raised to put everybody else first. Um, And that's, you know, that's sort of the, the model that our mothers and our grandmothers and, you know, all of our female role models kind of, kind of you know, demonstrated for us. And, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom for many, many years and she took care of us and cooked for us and made sure that everybody was happy before she looked after herself. And she was not happy. And, um, 
And I think that, you know, a lot of women who end up in that place where, you know, they feel like they have to look after everybody else first, end up not doing as well for anybody as, as they could. So, um, when I was first a mom, I, I stayed home for, with my kids for the first four years and, um, and I was not working or anything. I was just a stay at home mom. I say just a stay at home mom. I never mean <laughs> to say just a stay at home mom, but that was what, it, that was all I did. And, um, and it was, and it's this incredibly draining job and you never get to put yourself first. And I always, you know, felt super, super guilty about, you know, leaving my kids to do anything. And my husband was, always really supportive and you kept on saying, you know, go out with your friends, go do something for yourself. You know, kids are fine. Get a babysitter. It's fine. Um, but I thought, no, 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 nobody can look after my kids as well as I can, which, you know, maybe is true on some level, but at the same time, I wasn't looking after myself and I was depressed and I was sleep deprived and I was overweight and I was, you know, I had tons of chronic pain because I was so overweight and I wasn't getting any exercise. And, um, part of what sort of saved me was that I went into the, the Y one day, the Y by my house, and I found out that they actually have childcare. It's like, you, you'll just watch my kids for a few dollars while I even go and take a shower with nobody bugging me. <laughs> That's crazy. Anyway, um, so that was sort of what, what got me on the road to, um, to sort of recovering and finding some semblance of mental health again, um, was that, it was like, okay, I can, you know, nothing, nothing bad will happen. My kids are right there in the same building with me. They'll come and get me if anything terrible goes wrong. Um, and just taking that hour out of the day was, was huge in terms of getting me back on the road to finding myself as a person again, because at the time I was, I was drowning in postpartum depression and misery and sleeplessness and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so putting Isn't that yourself meant to have kids there, guys. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. I am a walking advertisement for birth control. Nice to meet you. <laughs> you are to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Damn it. Um, yeah. So that's, a shirt. <laughs> that's right. Oh my god, I'm going to design that. Um, but yeah, I mean, once I sort of figured out that nothing bad would happen if I if I put my own needs ahead of everybody else's for you know an hour every day and. I will actually be better if I do that for the other 23 hours of the day. Um, that was, that was a big, you know, that was a big mental shift as well. So, um, but I didn't understand that until I was sort of forced to do it. And I kind of had to hit rock bottom before that was even a possibility. But, um, but you know, here's hoping that that story will, will sort of spark some development or some idea in somebody else, right? Yeah. Do we need to explain indoctrination? You do. Okay. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> how difficult is it to challenge the society indoctrination that women need to place others before their own and explain societal indoctrination? Just for me, even. But I'm going to hope that other people don't know what that means. Go listen to some Jordan Peterson. He'll explain indoctrination there you go. to you. I don't want Jordan Peterson's yeah. awesome. We're not See, too I'm smart to explain. You think he's awesome because, like, he's getting painted as being this like bad guy as of course like are you kidding me this guy is actually brilliant but someone will be listening to brilliant. nah I should type in a thesaurus <laughs> um well this is, I mean if I'm gonna define societal yes. indoctrination Absolutely. it's just something that um that girls are 
sort of bred to believe, right? I mean, we're the caregivers, we're the nurturers, we're the people that, um, you know, that's, that's just what we're raised to be. And so it is very challenging to take that, that sort of belief and turn it on its head and say, okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to be better people and better for everybody else. If, if we stop doing that all the time, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to just, you know, leave our kids to fend for themselves and be selfish all the time. But, um, but we do definitely need to make sure that we make ourselves happy because if we don't make ourselves happy, nobody else can do it for us. Well, in some form of fashion, as your kids grow up, they'll see that too. And you yeah. kind of want to model, I don't want to say happiness, but like being fulfilled. That's the next book. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, a perfect segue. Yeah. Being fulfilled. So we're talking about being fulfilled and being happy. And, and we kind of chatted about this in our group chat before. So a lot of people are seeking happiness or they're preoccupied with happiness without trying to find that ideal fulfillment in their life. So can you kind of talk about that and kind of link it to this question about this societal indoctrination of women? <laughs> um, okay, so... You know, we all we all chase this idea of happiness, but you know, what what is happiness really, right? I mean, kind of, you know, hold it up there as this weird bubble that's up in the sky where everything's good and there are no problems and there are no obstacles and everybody loves us and we have tons of money or whatever. Um, but really, what what we need to kind of figure out, I think, is that happiness comes from fulfillment and fulfillment come that sense of fulfillment comes from grinding through shit and finding those obstacles and you know having to fight through stuff i mean we're we're people we're animals we need you know we're never going to be satisfied happiness is is an illusion um and so what we really need to kind of shift our thinking and find a different model of societal indoctrination there you go Uh, we, we need to find this this different sort of ideal that we're going to chase where, you know, where we're OK with ourselves. But also, you know, we're embracing the idea that we, we need to strive for stuff and we need to, you know, we need to be grinding against, you know, whatever challenges we set out for ourselves. I mean, what what happens when you're happy? Do you stop? What do you stop? Do you stop working? Do you stop trying to set goals for yourself and and overcome them like well, <laughs> happiness is ridiculous really unless you're kind of enjoying the journey because that's I'm, that's where the well, I think that's, that's part of it happens. even if you look at my career like I did teaching because that's what I went played football I needed to go to school longer go to school longer and become a teacher teachers make good money so I could have this house my five cars living like a rock star blah 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 because <laughs> all like, teachers live like rock stars <laughs> they get paid half decent but like that there, there was something missing and when that moment came that there was a change I switched to something I knew that would be fulfilling thus I'm happier mm-hmm. but <laughs> like it's that idea of like everyone can kind of know like sometimes like there's lots of rich people in this world that are supposed to be happy and they're not because they're not fulfilled they're not doing what they wanted they pursued something that they weren't passionate about and that's where fulfillment and passion and kind of filling your life with things you want to do will come into play as opposed to just following that social indoctrination <laughs> that is put forward about you have to get a career and do this and this and this and people get forced into shit they don't want to do or that they don't know they don't want to do just because that's what you do. Yeah, for sure. Take that one. Social and doctors. <laughs> he's all pleased with himself now. He feels like he's captured the words. So. <laughs> That's right. He's did that work? The did that work? 
Yeah, it, I think it, it, it worked. It worked. Yes. It worked. Go listen to some Jordan Peterson. Seriously, you'll have a blast with that stuff. Uh, okay. I take it this is with you. But like, I think there's a lot of people that are in that space. Like yeah, that, that absolutely. need to make that change. And like, like you made that change twice. You lost weight, became a trainer, gained weight, lost weight, became a trainer, got powerlifting, and now you're super fulfilled and you're thriving. That wouldn't have happened had some of those things didn't happen. Yeah, for sure. And there's, I mean, I'm never going to be satisfied. There's always going to be more stuff that I want to do. And, you know, if, if being a trainer doesn't work out for whatever reason, there will be other, you know, there will be other challenges. But as you know, it's part of the human condition to to sort of be dissatisfied and want to get to that next level. And you picked a great sport because you can only get you can only get stronger <laughs> in powerlifting. Like the next goal is, OK, I need to get a PR total, which is two pounds. OK, I'm happy. You can literally repeat that process over and over and over again if you are one of those people that need to feed that hunger. Yeah, absolutely. I've been down this road too. Like I've I've talked a, I talk a lot less about a lot of my history than you know Dean does on the podcast. But I went to business school and that was the original sort of thing. And like I don't know, like maybe marketing or investment banking or some bullshit like that. And worked for a bank briefly. That was terrible. Hated that. Uh, worked in I worked in the bars over the years. I owned a nightclub back in Newfoundland. I mean that was fun, but it was also a pain in the ass. Came to Edmonton. <laughs> First job was in a casino as a poker dealer and a poker supervisor and while again that had its moments the book, uh, man. It, mm-hmm. oh totally uh, that was also not fulfilling at all and I really got back into uh, weightlifting in the gym many many years ago about a decade ago I had a brief stint away from it and it's probably been the every I always say to people every good thing that's ever happened to me in my life is a result of being in a gym working out getting myself in shape and now I've had <laughs> arguably especially on a local scale a very successful career for the last seven years in this and, and look at what we're doing right now we're recording podcasts and mm-hmm. you know, well, my business has been exploding and, and that idea of fulfillment even if we tie it back to that career or your pursuit of powerlifting like there's countless numbers of females and males that have gotten into powerlifting Olympic lifting because of the ease of access into it mm-hmm. and have found that fulfillment even if they don't necessarily like their day jobs like they're like Evolve is full like they're opening up three gyms based on that large part of that demographic and I think that I guess if we're talking about the idea of sports you can get into powerlifting you can't necessarily just play hockey or football because you have a prerequisite skills yeah powerlifting pretty much anyone can do it yeah there's a really low barrier to entry mm. it doesn't cost a lot of money you don't need other people to do it eventually you'll need other people just because it's more fun that way but yeah. <laughs> just doing it at home in your own garage <laughs> self-taught that well, even, scary. even still though right yeah. I mean those people are better off than the people who aren't doing anything right absolutely uh, let's shift this one to mindset something that you made a point of is you have a few rules for mindset about being active uh could you explain that um yeah sure i mean they're they're not hard and fast rules but um but there's something that i sort of talk about with my clients and try and that is commandments <laughs> I like that. that's the title of the podcast that is commandments. oh man there, i figured it out sorry continue <laughs> okay so um so i don't know i mean it's just really just kind of a set of principles that um that i try and live my life by and try and sort of instill in in the people that i coach and um and really, I mean, rule number one is show up, right? I mean, if we don't, if we don't do that, then nothing else is going to happen. Um, but you got to show up and you got to get it done. And, you know, some days, some days are just not workout days and that's okay. Um, but even if you're having a crap day, your day is going to get better once you get into the gym or get moving or even just like 
take an hour and shut off the shit that you're carrying around, the to-do lists and got to get done for work or for home or for kids or, you know, all that stuff. I mean, we have these, we have so much noise in our heads and our, you know, our phones are going off constantly. Um, shut that shit off. Get into the gym for an hour and, you know, if it's not a workout day, then just take a shower or go sit in the steam room and, and just turn it, turn that stuff off and reboot your brain. Um, but, but showing up is kind of step number one. And then, um, and then I wrote a piece of, um, maybe a year ago, I guess, um, that, that got a lot of traction and it was about the 10 minute rule. And I feel like for me, when I go into the gym, you know, lots of times, and you guys can attest to this, when you go into the gym, you don't always feel like doing it. It feels like shit. Um, but, but you go and you give it 10 minutes. And if you're not feeling it by 10 minutes in, then maybe it's not a workout day. Maybe you're going to get hurt. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're getting sick or whatever, but get, get 10 minutes into it. 99% of the time it's, you know, you'll be having fun by then. And, you know, you can turn off all the other stuff and just kind of get out of your mind and into your body a little bit. And, um, yeah. And I think that's another good point, even though this is kind of cutting into that, Mm -hmm. but I mean, a lot of people, and I'm, I'm going to use powerlifting as an example because we're both doing it. But it's just one of those things where sometimes people go in and having a shit day, you know, my back's tweaky, whatever. But I'm following this program. I have to do it. And I'd say push it back. Like there's more important stuff that like you get fucked up. <laughs> if, but, like, but like seriously, like there's that whole mindset piece that I don't think a lot of people take that idea of how their body's feeling and act on it. Because sometimes it's just not right to be in there. Like I've sat so, there like... Sometimes it's not, but... But sometimes the, you have the best days of your workout, so that's where fuck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you can even ask Dean about this. Um, there have been lots of days when I've gone in and said, you know what, I feel like shit. Like, I don't want to be here. And I'm like rock bottom, you know, brains and down in the dumps. And, um, you know, my back is feeling shitty and everything's bad and... It ends up being great. I talked myself out of that, by the way, because I've done that too. <laughs> the worst, yeah. I've, I think actually some of my but, best days are my worst yeah, days. Yeah, and, and that's where it's important back. to like get in there and give it 10 minutes. You know, maybe, maybe things will start feeling better. If they don't, then yeah, you might fuck yourself up hard, but. There, I'm re- readjusting my answer. <laughs> if things feel tweaky or your back or it's just, a, then maybe reevaluate. But mental, yeah. mentally, I guess, yeah, it could be a place where you can unleash that horrible idea of not wanting to be a gym and all this shit's yeah, going on. Yeah, for sure. We see it all the time. There's at least one guy that I know is an astonishingly good power lifter and it wasn't no big deal for him to show up on the weekends to work out. He's hung over like all of the time. That's pretty normal for him. And <laughs> he's still setting PRs and doing absolutely terrifying shit that is, makes no sense. So that you should write his Instagram name on the papers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know if you're listening to this one. It's Brandon Blatchford. So oh, yeah. Brandon is a <laughs> remarkable athlete. He's got like these tiny little 13 inch calves. He's six foot four and about 220 pounds. And he, he sumo pulls over 700. He's paused, benched 402 in competition. He squats mid fives. He's just inhumanly strong. It doesn't even make any sense. He's so. like, oh, I'm hurt. Yeah. I'm going to do strong man. Like he's yeah. just a good and now he's a great mm-hmm. strong man, which it just, it doesn't, it defies logic how strong this guy is, but he's a blast. But you're I'm not telling think... people to get hung over <laughs> and work out all the time, are you? No. Well, you know what? If, <laughs> here's what I would take for that. If you're hung over, go and work out. It'll actually get you on track. So don't use that as an excuse not to. If that's a part yeah. of your life, there's uh, some actual don't throw away the day. There's something actual. If you're hung over, yeah, go work out. Yeah, sure. Get it done. I turned 40 a couple months ago and 
I went into the gym the morning after my 40th birthday party <laughs> feeling terrible and hit a squat PR that day. That was great. That was like the most fun I've had in the gym in a long time. It's probably a better birthday present than anything else you got. Hell yeah, it was. Weirdly enough, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, same thing as like, like I remember this time in junior football, like I got super hungover. I was already super <laughs> wasted like the day before a game and I had a great game. And I think it was that fact that like I was so worried about doing poorly that I tried harder because you felt like shit. You're like, fuck, can't fuck this up. I feel like shit. I mean, you always try it harder. I don't know. There's something to it. Like, we should do a science study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you design that study. We'll see where well, that goes. The social indoctrination of not being on over before workout is totally <laughs> challenged on this issue because we've had three examples of people that can do it. Sounds good to me. I fit it in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next question. Next question. We always talk about commercial facilities, just the way it works out. But... There's always some stereotypical ridiculousness that people do that is fine because they're new and blah, 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 blah. Without getting yourself into too much trouble, that was me not getting into too much trouble. What are your biggest pet peeves <laughs> that you encounter in a commercial gym setting? Okay. <clears throat> yes. So Number that's one. kind of a can of worms because I feel like. Open. Yeah, I work. <laughs> Hannah's list. <laughs> My list. Really, there's only one thing on the list and that's, and that's judginess. Um, I hate it when people judge each other in the gym and, you know, whether, whether it's the first time in the gym or, you know, or you've been going to the gym for years, I, you know, I train out of the city facilities every once in a while and you see people doing some of the most ridiculous things in there. And those people are still better off because they're in the gym than the people who aren't in the gym. And so who are we to laugh at those people? Right. Um, and when I see really ridiculous stuff happening in the gym, do I say anything? Maybe if I see somebody who's about to hurt themselves or doing something dangerous, then I will put a stop to it. But other than that, if they're in their zone and they're having fun and they're not hurting anybody and they're not hurting themselves, go for it. You know what? Those people are doing fine. Um, I hate unsolicited advice. I won't give it. Right? I won't do it. <clears throat> yeah. And, and also coming from that place where I was, you know, I was once, you know, that overweight trainer, I was never going to go up to somebody and say, you know, your squat form is terrible, even though I knew, but you know, that, that the delivery coming from me is, is never going to go over very well. So at a gym that I used to work at, we, there was, you know, one really, really big jack dude. And we'd always say, you know what, you have to go talk to that person because Cause you're really, intimi- you're really intimidating. So well, you better do <laughs> But people tend to, you know, people listen to him. People yeah. would not listen to me. They tell me to fuck right off. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I have I have a story about that though. Um, <laughs> client that I used to train um, is a guy. I don't think I'm violating any um, any confidence it's laws a guy. about it's this. A guy. It was a guy uh, at a gym with my friend's gym. <laughs> anyway. Um, he came to me after going through a bunch of trainers. Um, I trained his wife and his wife had done really well. And so she asked me if I would do a session with him because he trained with a bunch of other people and they just ended up every, every trainer that this guy worked with, he ended up butting heads with, and he had all this, all this pain and he got all these problems and he hated working out and he hated coming to the gym and he was doing it because his doctor told him that he better damn well deal with um, his weight problem and, you know, and he was going to get more injured and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, he started out doing this same um, very adversarial thing with me where I'd say, okay, here's what I want you to do. And he'd, and he'd go, I don't want to do that. That's going to hurt. And, um, and, 
something sort of switched over one day when he came in and he said, I got to show you this exercise that I made up with this piece of equipment. And I'm like, really? Can we just work out? And so he showed me this goofy exercise and I'm like, okay. And he's like, oh, now, now look at what I can do on this other thing. And I'm like, were you like just on social media all night or something? But he like ran around the gym like a four-year-old and he's like, check out what I thought of that you can use this piece of equipment for. And... And as I'm chasing him around the gym, I'm thinking everybody in here is going to look at me and think that I'm a terrible trainer because this guy is just getting the worst, most random, stupid workout, <laughs> completely unstructured, completely everything. And um, but then I thought, you know what, though, he's moving. And by the end of the session, he was sweating and he hadn't fallen on the floor and said, ouch, a single time. And I thought, this is how I'm going to work with this guy. And so I said, okay, for the next session, I want you to think of something new to do with this piece of equipment and this piece of equipment and this other piece of equipment. And so that's how we, that's how we did our workouts for a little while. And I just thought, you know, you know, I hope the other people in the gym see the way I train other people Nobody's because this is not how shit. I roll. But, um, and so he had, you know, for a few months there, he had this terrible, unstructured, completely random workout plan where we'd run around the gym and make up exercises to do that looked completely ridiculous. But you know what? He lost 20 pounds and... Had, had his hectic workout. Fit, yeah. But you got through <laughs> to the guy. You turned him into yeah. someone who hated it, into someone who loved it. Yeah. You did what was ultimately best for this guy. And I'll bet that it built credibility in a relationship to the point where then you could turn around and get him to do more traditional things that helped him a lot. Yes. And we ended up, you know, we'd, we'd make a deal and I'd say, okay, I want you to do this set of this thing and then you can go and play on this other thing. <laughs> so, I mean, and it was effective, it worked, but, um, but the idea that, you know, people, people go into a commercial gym and think, oh, look at all these, this bunch of noobs and they're doing all this stupid stuff and they're squatting wrong and half range of motion, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you know what? Shut up. At least they're getting something done. At least they're having some fun. Okay, what about right? like one like, real pet peeve, like dropping, uh, dropping weights? What about like leaving their <laughs> weights on or something controversial like that? Um, one, one. I don't know. Put your shit away. It's not that hard, right? No, I use that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Damn it. I don't know. I feel Screaming? like... Screaming? Screaming. Grunting. Uh, you you're used to being in a powerlifting gym, so you hear plenty of that stuff, so... And if, if well, it's a guy who's literally doing not. chest plies with, like, 25 pound dumbbells, okay. he's grunting. Well, all grunting. That's true, you that's can, true. There's, like, grunting. Like, you gotta make like, sure that like, everybody knows how hard you're working. Well, there's that grunt, and then there's, like, like that was hard, and, like, I do that when things are hard grunt. Like, there is there is a difference. There's a fucking difference. You know when they're trying to grunt. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I, my pet peeve is people who grunt to grunt. Instead of people who grunt or have their weird sound, they make when, like, shit gets hard. <laughs> yeah, if, it's, if it's a peer yeah. attempt, you're off the hook on that one. Well, yeah, some people squeak. Right. Like, yes, she'll she'll right. listen to this and she'll know she squeaks. But there's like people <laughs> that have their thing, or they'll make like I make a blowfish with my face. Like I put all the air in one side, and then sometimes it comes out and makes a sound. That's yeah. my thing. That's probably not hurting anybody. No, no. All right, Hannah. So I ask this of everybody. What are you currently reading? And uh, do you have a book that you've read in the past that was a real game changer in your life? Yes and yes. Okay, so right now I am reading Crooked. Um, and it is a book about outwitting the industry of back pain and getting yourself on the road to recovery in 
Um, and it's a fantastic book about um, this. The authors, I think, Catherine Jacobson Raymond is the um, is the author, and she had terrible back pain from when she fell off a horse when she was a teenager, and she ended up with years and years and years of of back problems, and tried everything. She tried all the woo and the bullshit, and she also tried more more of the conventional. Um, more of the conventional treatments and didn't have any more luck with those. Anyway, um, so it's a really great book about um, about the back pain industry and how, you know, there are a lot of people out there making millions off people's back pain, and that's terrible. That's the industry. Um, like, I think that's, if, that's, that's probably the number one reason other than weight loss, if not the number one reason. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so it's um, it's a great book, highly recommended. And um, and then the book that was the game changer, I read Never Let Go by Dan John um, many, many years ago. And I still reread it once every couple of years just because it's awesome. What's that one about? I'm never, I'm not familiar. What? Wow. Shame on you. I read, <laughs> as I have my, I have Harry Potter, Game of Thrones. I, I think you'd like, injury. I think you'd like Dan John though. Okay. He's very readable. Conscious and coaching. I read, okay? Yeah, there you go. Hey, See? Dan John here. Dan John is one of the kind of the, the godfathers of the fitness industry. He's one of the, one of the coolest guys out there. I guess he's the older generation that have had a lot of formative influence on people like Dean Somerset mm-hmm. and you know the people are kind of in their like 30 like late 20s 30s early 40s Dan John is someone that I all ages <laughs> well if you're 18 Dan and Dan and uh, guys like Alan Cosgrove these sort of guys are you know they're probably creeping up on more like 60-ish and uh, mm-hmm. Mike Boyle those are the guys who sort of broke ground on a lot of this stuff and because mm-hmm. the industry still is a fairly young industry so these guys really were trendsetters and a lot has come in their wake and, and hopefully there's a lot of guests that are kind of on our wish list to maybe get on this and one of the prouder things if we ever get Dan John on here which we'll try eventually what's his big thing what's his what's big, big thing, thing? I, I think a lot of it's just mindset coaching for trainers and a lot of it's actually fairly simple messages Dan John is definitely not someone who complicates yeah, he things really, yeah he takes a very simple approach to um, to strength training he's an accomplished strong man um, does some power Shot lifting butter. yeah yeah he was a high school football coach um but yeah, he's he's fantastic, and he really he doesn't believe in any of the woo and the bullshit. Um, he just keeps things really really simple. He says, you know, his his basic thing is that there are three ways to lift a weight: you lift it off the ground, you push it overhead, or you carry it somewhere. It's funny because that's come round circle now. That's kind of yeah. Things are going now, right? After all the other shit that in between. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to complicate things, right? Okay. Where can people find you? So you mentioned you had a blog. I'm sure you have Instagram, Facebook. What are those things for our listeners and yours to kind of find? Um, yeah, I do. I have a blog. It's grayareastrength.com. Spell um, gray for them. Oh, G-R-A-Y. A is an apple. Um, everybody puts in G-R-E-Y and that's wrong. You won't find me. Um, my Instagram is gray with an A area strength. And um Hannah Gray on Facebook and uh, Gray Area Strength is also on Facebook as well. Yeah, you've got two names that are like often spelled differently because like there's different ways to spell Hannah too. So H A N N A H A N N A H H A N A H A N A H. Now you're just making it confusing. H A N N A H. Social indoctrination of the name of Hannah is challenged. Um, cool. So this is the point in the podcast where I guess we wrap it up. But at the end of the day, if you liked what you heard, which you should, 
give us a five-star rating on iTunes, maybe drop a review. Uh, those are the sorts of things that kind of puts our podcast in front of more people and allows us to do these sorts of things. We'll probably do them anyways, because we got not that much money invested and we're really committed to it. But that being said, if you do like the content, please like, share, go to our Facebook page, all the fun stuff. That's my spiel. Andrew. Um, Hannah, thanks for showing up. We really appreciate this. We're excited to do this one. It was a great, uh, great episode. I can't cool. wait to thanks share it with me. people. It was great. Great. Thank you guys. Have a great day.